Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about in-crop fertilizer applications, whether it's on the soil or on the leaves of the plant. If you've got any questions for us, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So let me just say this, uh, talking about the fertilizer applications. I am a big believer in getting fertility out early, especially when you have heavy soil and not a lot of rainfall. We have on most of our farm, heavy soil, and traditionally we have not a lot of rainfall. Even in our wettest year ever, the wettest year on his, in history, in 130 years worth of history here, we had about 40 total inches of precip. That includes the snow. That's the wettest year ever, 40. And <laughs> wherever you're listening from today, you may say, 40 inches in a whole year? How do you even raise a crop on that? That'd be a dry year for us. Well, look, normally we get about 20, 22, something like that. And we are able to raise pretty good crops. But keep in mind, we're colder so than a lot of other areas. We're in South Dakota, and despite the name South, um, we're a long ways north in the United States, and it's darn cold. Even today, uh, it's finally turned to what we feel is fairly nice, and the, the temp is in the low 60s, but this morning it was 29 degrees on our farm. And we have a lot of crop that is just coming out of the ground, corn and soybeans. So 29 degrees is not the best. That's not really what I would like to see. But anyway, talking about these in-crop fertilizer applications, when you look at the crop prices today and you already had made your fertility program, let's say it was last fall, like we did on our farm, were you running today's economics? Well, of course you weren't, because like last fall, we didn't have today's economics where you've got $6 new crop corn and you have $13 new crop soybeans. And now I look at it and I go, whoa, these are great prices. I want to get as many bushels as I possibly can. And as much as people want to talk to you about, oh, the seed decision's important and weed and insect and disease control is important. Look, the most important thing other than drainage is still going to be fertility. And if you're short on fertility, you're just not going to get maximum yield. Now, there are a lot of crops where, like let's take corn and wheat, you need nitrogen. And you know what? Nitrogen trumps almost everything else. But then you get crops like soybeans where that's not really the case. You might be able to use a little bit of nitrogen, but it's all these other nutrients. And even in corn and wheat and the crops that do need nitrogen, it could still be something else that's your yield limiting factor. So we're going to talk about that just a little bit today and how to apply those products. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag. All right, Brian, Kevin from North Dakota sent in an article that he saw online, and he said, I found this article. It says, air pollution from farms leads to 17,900 U.S. deaths per year, according to a study. I just thought <laughs> you might want to, to know this was out there and comment on it as well. Yeah. So what did you call our segment yesterday, Darren? Uh, Brian's blunt responses. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's my blunt response to that. That is nonsense. And I got to keep the language clean here on the radio, but that whole report, complete garbage, 
Really? 17,000 people died from air pollution from farms? Dream on. No way. That's impossible. For one, it's thanks to farms that we have cleaner air. Don't ever forget that farmers raise tremendous amounts of crops that breathe in all these supposedly harmful gases that are bad for the environment. Number one on the list for greenhouse gases is what? Carbon dioxide. What does a plant bring in number one? Carbon dioxide. What does it kick out? Oxygen. So, I mean, it's thanks to the plants that farmers raise that we're even alive. Seriously. So, I mean, there's no possible chance that 17,000 people died. And I get sick of all these fake reports that come out all the time. We need to start coming up with reports. Like, well, if you live in town, you're 10 times more likely to die than if you live in the country. Yep, that's the new report that just came out, so you better move to the country. Uh, You know, I I mean, come on. There's just so much garbage that's out there, and it's sad because that's what people get bombarded with all the time. And how often do you see pro-farming articles? versus anti-farming articles. And that's what I get frustrated about. If 95% of the time it was favorable to farmers, which it should be, let's keep in mind that here in North America, between the United States and Canada, we have the safest, cheapest, most abundant food supply in the world. And that's thanks to the farmers that are out there. They're doing a fantastic job. They're not killing people. They're saving lives literally every day. And they need to hear the good news instead of all this garbage nonsense that's out there that's completely untrue. Can I get more blunt than that? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Let's take another one here. This comes from Derek. And Derek said, thanks uh, so much for the information here. I got one more question for you guys. Can I mix Prowl and Spartan and spray them together, or should I spray them separate? You can spray them together. There's no problem spraying them together. It works just fine. And that might have come from, we were talking about those with sunflowers. Yes, Yes, he was talking about sunflowers. Yep. So that's a very, very common mix. All right. I get this from Joe. Uh, Looking to side dress corn twice with 30 gallons at 28%. Because we figure our sandy soils can only hold 90 pounds each shot. Okay. We want to add some potassium to the mix. Wondering about the amount. We'd normally dry spread 200 pounds up front, and uh, we are in Michigan. Yeah, in terms of how much, that's a great question. It, it depends on so many factors. So here's what I would look at. How much do you have in the soil? and what kind of yield goal are you after. Then beyond that, you want to look at today's economics and these commodity prices. And if anything, I might push it just a little bit more than I usually would, but adding somewhere in the 30 to 80 pound range is probably where you're going to fall. All right, thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. We're going to be talking today about in-crop fertilizer applications on today's Ag PhD Radio. When it comes to weed control, our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist Weed Control System, just better, with no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. 
Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at Ag PhD, we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an Ag PhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com. This is Quick Dick McDick from Tufnell asking you, have you heard of Mandaco Land Rollers? They're the ones with the green paint, and I'm not talking about the green paint that requires a technician and a laptop to fix. I'm talking about the Mandaco green paint that doesn't need fixing because it's built tough. We're talking 5 8 thick, 42-inch diameter drums, people, and I've learned never to talk about size unless you can back it up when a measuring tape gets pulled out. So keep your seed and rocks in the ground where they belong and get yourself a roller at mandaco.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about in-crop fertilizer applications today. And you know what? Our in-crop applications, if we went out today, would be on uh, just emerging crop right here on our farm. But in some parts of the country, things are a little further along. Uh, get our friend Reed Abbott with AgroLiquid on. Even though Reed's a little under the weather the way it sounds. Reed, how are you doing? Oh, doing fine. Doing fine. You know, uh, just one of those springtime things, you know. Oh, man. You know, the allergies this year, it's just been kind of crazy out there. And a lot of farmers are just fighting through it and trying to, to feed their crops. We just had a couple of questions come in about... Uh, feeding crops in season. And when you look at nutrients like nitrogen and sulfur, I mean, those ones seem to be pretty slam dunk. You bet you can. We can get a lot of stuff done. But what about things like P and K? Do you, do you find good ways to still get P and K into the crop in season? Right. Yeah. There's a, a lot of new application methods. I mean, you know, before uh, the mobility of those nutrients and some of our traditional uh, application methods in season uh, what was kind of a, a question mark but now with things like the the Y drop and and some of these uh, other application methods where we can direct that nutrient right into that root zone not have to worry about it moving over to the crop like nitrogen and sulfur would um, you know we're we're able to, to apply those nutrients in season and take care of that need so we have so many farmers now talking about micronutrients as well, and a lot of growers looking at how can I do this in season, and then when should I do it in season? And the the main question seems to be, Reed, should I spray them really early, like maybe in corn, for example, say V2, when I can get everything in the ground and then just start right away getting back out there to put nutrients on? Or should I wait until a tasseling time? My my strategy has always been earlier is better. If I'm going to mess up, I'd rather have the nutrients out there and have the crop have a shot. What have you found? What's been successful for you? Well, I mean, we, you've got guys going all all different times, uh, you know, up up until that tassel. I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, you never know what the weather's going to bring for you uh, later on and whether you're going to be able to get out there at that timely 
um, uh, time frame or whatever. And so, um, you know, we, we do, uh, advocate putting, putting out nutrients, uh, earlier and using, you know, kind of a protected form or, or a form that's able to extend that feeding out into the season. Um, but you know, you've got more and more guys that are looking at micronutrients and, uh, in particular like boron, uh, you know, going in that V10 to, to tassel time frame because it's more of a quote-unquote reproductive nutrient, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on out there, and that's why we're talking about these in-crop fertilizer applications. Uh, we're talking with Reed Abbott with AgriLiquid. And, Reed, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today, and good luck to you here heading into the rest of the spring. Thanks. Appreciate it. You know, Brian, we talk about these in-crop applications, some of them being made on the soil, some of yep. them being made foliar. So there's a lot of different ways that we can try to get to that crop. And Reed was pointing right. out a couple there like boron that, you know what, we really want to make sure we've got plenty of that later in the season. And if you're in lighter soils, you're going to have to put it on kind of when you need it if you want to make sure that it's going to be there. Uh, we get somebody on now that deals with a lot of different soil types out there. It's our friend Paul Borges out in California. Paul, how are you today? Good. How are you guys? Not too bad. We're talking in-crop fertilizer applications today, and certainly uh, you got a wide variety of crops that you're you're growing and helping helping uh, different growers raise out in California. And certainly the nutrient needs are going to be different as you go as well between tree crops and and. Uh, all the vegetables and everything else that you're raising. So how do you approach this in-crop fertilizer application piece with the farmers you're working with? Well, like you were saying earlier, when it comes to sandy ground, you have to go more often. So on our vegetables or even our trees, and we're doing some drip tape and corn now for silage. Uh, it's a little bit each time we go out and irrigate. Um, on heavier ground, on corn, for example, we'll, put stuff with the starter, come in and shank uh, before it gets too tall for the tractor. Deep foot will put some there. And then the trees, uh, depending on the soil type, depending on how much we're going to see throughout the season. Yeah, I think that's one thing that has changed since I was a kid. It seemed like we always wanted to keep things really simple. We'd put some manure out on the ground, and then we'd generally make one application on heavy dry land ground. And we just wanted to be done because we had a lot of stuff going on with livestock and everything else. Now we're seeing so many farmers that, just like you're talking about, well, I'm putting a little bit in furrow. I'm putting a little bit in a two-by-two. Two. I'm doing a side dress a couple times. If I've got irrigation, i got some options there. You know, you think even the irrigation side, you mentioned the drip tape. How about the flood irrigation guys and the pivot guys? I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can get things out there. Yeah, like in the pivot, same way. Like I kind of put the pivot just like it would be an irrigation system. You can run a little bit through the pivot on how long it takes, how long it takes to get around the field. Flood blocks, we'll either we'll do a lot more dries, and uh, we'll shank in some UN32 here and there with can at at different stages. But the flood blocks are probably the hardest ones because once you get in the orchards. It's hard to get through them at a certain stage, so everything's up front loaded. Sure. And then the sands, on the sands is where the guys have actually, there's a lot more people putting in the, the second system, so you got flood with micro or flood with drip, just for that reason to, to spoon feed that uh, the nutrients and nitrogen when you need that right time. 
All right, we keep hearing about drought conditions, and we're we're even in yeah. a drought area where we farm, but it certainly sounds extreme out in your part of the world. Talk to us about that, and with limited irrigation, how are you changing up some of these in-crop fertilizer application recommendations? Well, depending on we're going to some guys, we've uh, fouled some real sandy ground, straight on the heavier stuff, took a little more water. Um, it becomes more diligent on the water quality, treating that water so we can get it in the ground because sometimes some of this water wants to float across it it doesn't want to infiltrate so we have to treat the water to help get it in the ground and we got water sensors reading from four inches to 48 inches so we know where the water's at at all times as we irrigate and when to irrigate and stress them a little bit when we need to so it's, it there's and then a good old shovel, you dig a hole and see where the water is. <laughs> yes, you can always do some digging. I That's one thing. I, I get teased sometimes. I'm always carrying a shovel around. I'm like, man, I can't go anywhere without this thing because I always want to find out what's going on down in the soil and just see how things are working. And if there's a problem, I want to try and find it as soon as I can because, like you say, we can always make these exactly. adjustments during the season. We don't have to give up and wait for the next crop. No, no, no. There's, there's, your shovel's your best friend. I got a shovel, but I got like an auger. Uh, my auger down two feet and see where the moisture's at in orchards and and the cornfields will dig around a little bit to see where it's at. I mean the plants will tell you when it starts to stress the key is if you know if you watch the temperature and everything, you can almost time it right before it stresses to hit it and do your best. But there's a lot of guys this year is bad, next year's gonna be scary because we're gonna have to follow more ground to keep what we have. Yeah, that's a scary thing. See, we're really excited where we're at in the Dakotas. There's no no ground that's not going to be farmed this year. Everybody's getting everything in. We've had a few years where we've been on the too wet side. Now we're on the too dry side. And, of course, we can get every acre planted. We're just hoping to catch the rain to, to get things going. You talk about watching the temperatures and, and watching tissue testing and what just every different way that we can measure now. This has been a real advancement because we haven't been doing I mean, at least in the, the row crop acres that, that we're often working with, a lot of guys haven't really been doing that until the last 10 years years here so i think just knowing there's that technology out there to help is is really a positive yeah over here and i'm sure back in your guys area when it comes to putting a foliar i don't care if it's trees or corn or alfalfa you got to be below they say 85 is the max we try to stay at 80 when we shut our, sh- our equipment down because once that plant starts to shut down you ain't going to get it's, not, it's gonna be a hard time to get any of that nutrients into the plant yeah, that is that is a good point. Just thinking about having a receptive plant to be able to take in the nutrients if we're going to be trying to foliar feed. And obviously, if we're doing something through the soil, we've got a, a little bit of a window there, too, with many of those applications. Yeah. Talking with Paul Borges out in California, he works with just a ton of different crops. Paul, thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with us today, and good luck here. Hopefully, you guys catch some rain. Hey, good, good luck to you guys down there, too. Yeah, thanks. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, and today we're talking about in-crop fertilizer applications, both foliar and through the soil. If you have any agronomic questions you'd like us to help you with, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. 
Howler is Omri listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn more. When it comes to innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Panther, Credit Extreme, and Cheetah for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these challenging times, we know you're under pressure. New Farm's here to help. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucento fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. Broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about in-crop fertilizer applications. And a lot of times, Brian and I will hear, oh, you guys talk about corn and soybeans and wheat so much. How about we talk about some other crops? Well, that's a good idea. We've got our friend Alan Perry with us right now with the Farm Technologies Network up in Maine to talk about some other crops. Alan, how are you doing? Hey, we're doing good. Okay, when we're talking about foliar uh, and soil applications in crop, are there some nutrients that we just can't do that with, or is it pretty much open that we could could put out fertilizer of, of any sort? Uh, in terms of uh, physical availability, almost everything is available, but not everything is equally available all over the country. So some things that I might have in Maine, you might have a hard time to find there. 
Okay, so you've you've obviously got some strengths and weaknesses being in Maine. What are what are the strengths? What would you say, man? We're in a good spot uh, on this this or that. Um, primarily uh, for well, we're in the middle of a fairly large ag area, so we get some attention. There's enough acreage here to interest some people, and we have four fairly large Canadian fertilizer companies supplying us, so we can get. Some things that uh, middle of the country can't get, like ammonium nitrate, for instance. Yeah, yeah, that is nice. Okay, talk to us about that, because we do get some ammonium nitrate questions from time to time. Why is that such a great source of nutrition? Um, like a lot of things, cost is one, availability is the other. It mixes nicely with some of the other products that we use, um, and it's available over about a 30-day period. We like nitrate nitrogen to build roots and leaves and stems uh, and then ammonium nitrogen to work on tubers and fruits and flowers, that kind of thing. Okay, interesting, interesting. Yeah, the the different forms of nitrogen is something that we get questions on from time to time, so that's good to hear. Okay, uh, talk to us about some of the other things. How about sulfur? What do you find being a good source of sulfur for in-crop applications? Uh, generally speaking, we would work with some kind of a sulfate product, so zinc sulfate, copper sulfate, manganese sulfate that we use on potatoes a lot for our fungicides anyway are pretty good sources. Um, and we can uh, use elemental sulfur if we are quick enough to, to give it time. It's a slow-release product. Sometimes we put it on the fall before. Uh, sometimes it's just built into our program. <clears throat> Yeah, you mentioned needing time. That's one that we see a wide variety of quality sources, uh, depending on growers that we're talking to. If they've got something that's a little finer and breaks down a little faster, uh, it, it can provide a little quicker response. But, man, it's hard to know. We get questions from all over. Do you have good elemental sulfur where you're at, or is that something you'd say you wish you had a better source? Uh, no, we can get it. Uh, again, it's a cost factor, but uh, a lot of our guys are at the point $3,000 an acre to grow an acre of potatoes. Uh, some of the minor costs that go with these elements, if the crop will respond, it's worth the cost. They have to finance it one way or another. Uh, the liquid products we like because they're a little quicker acting. If we're trying to fix something during the season, I can get a quicker response with the liquid, but it costs me a little more. Okay. Interesting. Now, you mentioned when you talked about some of the sulfate forms, you, you mentioned a bunch of micronutrients along with that. So uh, like copper sulfate, for example, is one of them that you'd mentioned. When when you think about those micronutrients, are, are sulfate forms your best bet for getting those micros in, or, or are you finding something that's working even better? We like those. Uh, they're readily available. Uh, we have enough history with them, so we have a sense of kind of how they work. Uh, they will show up on our soil test so we can manage them that way. If I want smaller amounts of things and I don't need to manage them so closely, we might go with something like a liquid fish or something from the ocean, which has a hundred and some minerals in it, and get a bigger range of things in smaller quantities. And that's generally pretty uh, uh, inexpensive for us. Uh, liquid fish products off the uh, East Coast U.S. are pretty available. 
Yeah, that's definitely something in the Midwest we don't have as a choice out here. I would imagine the trucking would just kill us trying to get it here. Okay, here's my biggest nutrient problem, Alan, phosphorus. I hear growers tell me, oh, man, I thought I had phosphorus. It's proving to not be very available out there. I'd like to do something in crop, but, man, this stuff just doesn't move down through soil very well or move through plant tissue. How do you deal with phosphorus? Is this something you just simply have to have ready ahead of time, or is this something you can actually get? into the plant in season uh no you can you can add it in season uh a little bit of forward thinking is helpful to get the material close by uh last year we had a very very dry year here in maine and our potato crops and some of the broccoli crops just didn't get the vegetative growth we would expect in the first month or so and so they started to produce tubers at flowering date with a plant that was smaller than we wanted so I went in with liquid phosphorus and some other things to get the energy up, uh, magnesium and calcium to build the plant uh, so that we could take some of the stress off. I didn't want to try to build tubers with half a plant. And we could double the number of flowers in about 48 hours with some phosphorus liquid. Wow. Yeah, that's that's amazing when when you can turn things around. Like you say, when we've got a lot of growers in this dry situation this year, we're seeing some slow early growth uh, to not give up. Did you end up with good yield in the end then? <clears throat> we were down overall, but it was mostly because of the tuber numbers per plant were down some. Um, and overall, quality was very good. Size was good. So w- we would say down a little bit, but not catastrophic by any means and in the states in the united states that are suffering from colder cooler spring temperatures they're going to be more subject to this phosphorus tie up early is there a form of phosphorus that you can actually get into the planet and is this through a foliar application on that foliage or how did you do it uh yeah we put it on uh, uh as a foliar right on the foliage uh i know there are half a dozen commercial products, uh, depending on what state you're in, that, that can get that done. Um, There's some people that know more chemistry than I do about getting it through the leaf, but generally speaking, com- products on the market commercially, if you use them the way they direct, you can have some pretty good results. Um, watch the crop. Let it tell you how you're doing. You may have to do it more than once in some uh, cases as well. How about humics and fulvics, Alan? Are, are you big into humic and fulvic acid where you're at? Is that something you're applying often? Uh, I like them. Uh, there's a big, big difference between one source and another, depending on how they're made and how they're handled. Uh, and so crop response is a little bit difficult to predict, uh, and they're relatively expensive. So generally, we are not focused on those until after we get all the big holes filled. We want to make sure calcium, magnesium in line, potassium levels are good, some phosphorus. Um, we'll work on, on the fulvic acids and humic acids when we work on our microbiology program. All right, great stuff. We got Alan Perry with us with the Farm Technologies Network. Alan, you're a super busy guy. We really appreciate the time and information. Wish you the best of luck heading into this growing season. Hey, thanks. All right, when I think about these in-crop fertilizer applications, I'm looking at 12 nutrients. You got the primary ones, N, P, and K. And nitrogen, obviously, is the biggest for a lot of crops. And you know what? Even for soybeans, especially in a year like this year, if you're going for big-time yields, 
and if you had lighter soil, I'd be trying some nitrogen when those beans are flowering. Soybeans need a lot of nutrients, whether it's the macro or the micronutrients, later on in the season. So from the time they flower and on. So in other words, basically, let's call it the 1st of July. That July month, that August month, that's the critical timing for soybeans. Whereas corn and wheat, it's really more on the early side. We want to make sure our nutrients are out there extra early for corn and wheat, especially if you're worried about dry weather like I am this year. So that's why we've been putting more of our nutrients on earlier because, boy, if we don't get rain to push those nutrients in, we want to make sure that they're out there extra early just so we have more time to get the right amount of rain to get those nutrients down in the ground. And then you have nutrients that are basically never going to move, like phosphorus, for example. So if you're going to do an in-season application of something like phosphorus that doesn't move, place it down in the ground, you're going to be well ahead. We'll talk more about in-crop fertilizer applications right after this. Introducing the next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide-R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Introducing Wide-R Match from Corteva AgriScience. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for Arlax Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds and wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at Ag PhD we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an Ag PhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. 
Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases the seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about in-crop fertilizer applications. Brian, any more comments you get on that? One of the things that I thought was interesting, too, uh, Paul Borger said that they watch the temperature out in California, and obviously they can get quite hot. He said we want to make sure we're for sure below 85, but probably below 80, so we make sure that plant is very receptive to what we've got going on because they're in a dry climate. Now, if you've got a lot of humidity, that rule is probably different if we're talking to someone in Florida. Right. Yeah, humidity really helps. If your plant is open and receptive, that's great. Well, what does that mean? What we're talking about is you want to have decent humidity levels and the temperature can't be super high. So if let's say, for example, you are at 87 degrees, so that's above his level, but you're still at 70% humidity, well, number one, it's going to be brutal as a human being to be out in that weather. (laughs) But two, your plant is still going to be relatively receptive at that point. The humidity we look at is even an even bigger key than the temperature. Now, there's also the flip side of this thing. One of the issues we have in our geography is we have heavy dews a lot of mornings. So it'll be 58 degrees and our plants are absolutely soaking wet. It's just like we're going to tell you don't spray a herbicide at that point. Don't spray your foliar fertilizer at that point either because all it's going to happen is now you sprayed a foliar fertilizer that ended up on the ground. Well, if you're going to put fertilizer on the ground, a lot of times you can get by with cheaper stuff than what you need to go foliar. In terms of foliar, how much can you put out also becomes a big question. The more fertilizer you apply, the more water you're going to need. We get this question a lot, especially in wheat, for guys who are making these applications, trying to increase protein levels, for example. And they say, well, I want to put 10 gallons of 28% on there. Well, you better have at least 10 gallons of water with that, if not even 20. The more you water it down, then the safer you're going to make that fertilizer. Okay, But you are going to reach a point where you're going to have a lot of runoff. So that's one of the concerns with the more water you put out. For example, let's say you wanted to do some micro blend out there and you put it with 20 gallons of water. For me on our farm, I might put it with 10 gallons of water. Okay, who's going to get more into the plant, the guy with 20 or the guy with 10? Now, you could make the argument either way. If the crop is big, then I'm not too worried about it and it's probably fine either way. But let's say the crop is relatively small. Let's say you're spraying at V5 or V7 in corn and the crop just isn't that big, you might end up with a lot of runoff. Or let's say it's soybeans and the crop isn't that big. I'm just not in favor of really raising the rate of water because now we've got a less concentrated droplet and you're going to end up with more runoff, more stuff on the surface of the soil. Now, the good news is that fertilizer isn't probably going anywhere and hopefully, eventually, your crop might use it, whether it's two or three years down the road or whenever it is. But if you're after response today, you probably don't want to do that. So I'd keep your water volume at least relatively minimal if all you're after is you're throwing a quart of micronutrients out there. So a lot of times we'll throw a quart in with 10 gallons of water, and that works pretty well. Again, though, 
keep in mind with these foliar fertilizers, there's only so much you can do with them. So what I'm trying to say here is if you have terribly short fertility or terribly low fertility levels in your field and you're thinking, well, I'll just fix it up by doing one foliar application. Yeah, you're not going to get anywhere close. You, you can get a little bit of nutrients. You can get a few nutrients into the plant, but you just can't get lots in there. So if you had ground that was very short in soil fertility, you'd have to be out there foliar feeding every week or two to hope to stay even. And then besides that, you look at, okay, well, what do I need exactly? That's really hard to predict. I love plant tissue analysis, but keep in mind, tissue tests are not predictive. They're not going to tell you, hey, two weeks from now, you need to put on some nitrogen or you need to put on some potassium or whatever. All tissue tests are going to tell you is what, what kind of shape is your plant in today? That's why soil tests are so helpful. And you can certainly do some in-season soil tests too if you want to. We do that often for nitrogen and sulfur, for example. But soil tests are predictive to some degree. I mean, certainly you could have big rain and wash some stuff down and, and it doesn't get into your plant. But soil tests are, are pretty predictive. Tissue tests are not. So we use both of them to try to figure out, okay, where do we need to go with our fertility program? Should I just do some blend of micronutrients? Do I need specifically just some boron or what, what do I need exactly out here? And then also take a look at what's your crop going to remove in total. That's why we talk so much about nitrogen because you look at nitrogen, it's a lot of pounds. Even a soybean crop, have you ever looked at how many pounds of nitrogen a soybean crop will use? It's a staggering figure especially if you're talking big time yields. I was just going through some of our trial work that we'd done here the last few years. And Darren and I often talked about how we'd brought these high yield farmers onto our farm and they'd had plots with us five years in a row from 2015 all the way through 2019 at the Ag PhD Field Day. And I looked back at my average for soybeans and I think I averaged about 84, 85 bushel beans. Well, if I have 84, 85 bushel beans times roughly five and a half pounds of nitrogen per bushel, that's a crazy amount of nitrogen that that plant needs. And so we do get lots of questions with nitrogen in soybeans. Like I said earlier, though, we don't typically see nitrogen applications in soybeans pay if you have heavy ground and good drainage along with, I'm going to call them low yield, 60 bushels or less or 70 bushels or less. If you're talking 80, 90, 100 plus bushels per acre, you probably need a little bit of nitrogen, and the timing for that is probably uh, in the R2, R3 kind of range. So full flower, first pod kind of range is what we've found is paid pretty well. And then right along with nitrogen is usually sulfur. Nitrogen, sulfur, and boron are the most leachable nutrients that we're typically talking about. So in any soil, you need to be thinking about that. In light soil, you need to be applying them for sure every single year, if not even multiple times per year. One other thing I would tell you, since we're talking sand just a little bit, both potassium and magnesium, we have issues, a lot of issues in sandy soils. And by sandy soils, I mean cation exchange capacity of 10 or less. If you have a CEC of 10 or less and you're going for halfway decent yield, you also need to be looking, in addition to nitrogen and sulfur and boron, at magnesium and potassium. Because while those two nutrients aren't very leachable in a heavy soil like what we have on our farm, we get a lot of average 18 to 20, 23 CEC, um, we do see a lot of problems with potassium and magnesium leaching out in those light soils.
So that's where in-season applications, even a potassium and magnesium can make a lot of difference. So what I'm saying here is there are a lot of nutrients out there. There are 12 main ones, three primary, three secondary, and then I got six different micronutrients, including molybdenum. 12 nutrients you could potentially be looking at and thinking about for your farm this year and of all years. You want to make sure your crop doesn't run short on fertility? It's this one. You got a chance to make some big time money if you raise good yields this year. So I'm not saying just go spend money because the crop prices are high. I'm saying take a look at return on investment, the potential for good yield, and what your soil already has and what your plants have. And I'd start tissue testing even when those plants come right out of the ground. We'll start next Monday. So, yep, our plants are going to be real little, but I don't care. We want to get started, especially in corn and wheat, the crops that need nutrients real early in the season. So you can do a lot in season. I'm, I'm just trying to say here, you can't do a lot in one application of foliar fertilizer. So with some of these other nutrients that you need a lot, like nitrogen and sulfur and, and maybe even potassium, if you happen to need a lot, you can put those on the soil. And if you're in a drier area, put them on earlier than you need. There are nitrogen stabilizers. You can also look at, hey, when is it going to rain and try to do it shortly before a rain or something like that. We try to time that out very often on our own farm. But, I mean, there's just there's so much that can be done with fertility. And I would encourage you, moving forward, soil test in the fall and then compare your yield to your soil test grid points. So look at the yield there, look at your soil test grid points, and you chart those things out. And it's not going to take very long, just like we've been, we've been doing in our farm for the last three years, and we're starting to really see, oh, you know what? More potassium really pays. More zinc really pays up to a certain point, but we got to have that phosphorus-zinc ratio right, things like that. And so now we don't have to trust any other expert. We can trust our own data from our own farm, fine-tune our fertility program, get a lot more yield, and make more money. We're going to get back to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high-yield toolbox. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters. 
that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Been talking about in-crop fertilizer applications on today's program for all crops, but we're also getting a number of questions in here for the Ag PhD mailbag. Brian, we had fun yesterday with the Brian's blunt answers. <laughs> I think that we should continue that. Uh, well, there's so many different questions that that have. Pretty quick answers. Well, you were going to get it either way, whether you decided to continue <laughs> it or not. But anyway, go ahead. All right. So this one comes from Robert, and he said, where are the electric tractors? Do you see them being on the scene anytime soon? Nope. Takes a lot of horsepower. Um, so I, I honestly haven't talked to any of the big companies working on that. Maybe there's something in development. I just I haven't seen it. Okay. Uh Thanks for the question. We appreciate that, Robert. I get this one from Oh, hey, hey, one of the things, too, let me just quickly comment on, you know, the talk about switching to stuff. First of all, what's better for the environment? Is it truly running electric or would it be, would we be ahead to run all uh, crop-based fuels? So whether it's biodiesel, ethanol, anything like that. Which way really would we be ahead to go? Because you start figuring, okay, well, what does it take to produce electricity in a lot of areas? What does it take to produce these batteries? What's the life of those? All, I mean, there are a lot of factors in there. And so I think for a lot of people out there in our in our world, we're just blindly going by, well, they say electric's better for the environment. Is it really? I question that. And I would encourage you to question it a little bit, too. I'm not saying it is or it isn't. I'm just simply hey, it, saying it before through. we all have to invest literally hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy all new stuff, new cars, new pickups, new, new, all new this new equipment. to support them. Right. Or is it really another snow job that somebody's giving us so somebody can get rich? All right. 
Uh, thanks for the question, Robert. We appreciate that. Got a number of questions here from Gordon in Michigan, and Gordon said, I, I'm concerned about the increase in unwanted salts from manure applications. That sent yep. me to send in a, a sample, and my lab gave me a number back in millimoles per cubic centimeter. Boy, that, that sounds means, usable. That means nothing to me <laughs> as a farmer, and it's very frustrating when all I, I want to know is pounds that will be applied per acre. So through a bunch of figuring, they figured out 228 pounds of salt per 1,000 gallons of hog manure. So Ooh, we got how a much series, hog manure are they putting out? We have a series of questions. So he said, first of all, how many pounds of salt are acceptable to add through the application manure on a yearly basis? That varies depending on your heat, your moisture, and your soil. So let's put it this way. If I have lighter soil with lots okay. of rainfall and lots of heat, then I could get rid of a lot of pounds of salt on a per year basis. Now where they're at, it's Michigan, so we know we don't have a lot of heat. We have moderate amount of rainfall. What's the soil? Okay. So his questions are, how would these factors influence your answer to the pounds of salt question? So obviously you said soil CEC, so higher CEC, you could take a little more salt. Well, or are you saying lower no, no, CEC, no. you can flush it through easier? Lower CEC, you can flush it through faster. Okay. But then the thing I'm- is, just hang on, just it's heavier soil. Usually you can get by with just a little bit more salt in that soil profile without killing the crop. But yeah, you can't flush it through as fast. So he's talking about the buildup. So when we start talking buildup, you're obviously going to build it up more and faster in the heavy ground because it doesn't flush through. Okay. And he said, uh, how about soil organic matter content? Obviously, that gives you a little more buffer ties as well. R- ties right in with CEC. Okay. Yep. How, higher about, the organic how about matter, fall higher versus spring? Clearly, well, clearly, Gordon, you could tolerate a lot more in the, the fall, fall than you can in the spring. Absolutely. But you depends know how- on when fall is. What do you mean by fall? So if you're talking fall a week before freeze-up, that's whole different than fall by uh, the, let's call it the 25th of September. And also, it depends on when you're going to plant in the spring. We say this all the time. I mean, it's just like the guys want to soil test in spring. And I go, well, if you test right when the frost comes out, your results should basically be the same as a week before the frost went in last fall. All right. Uh, The other thing he said, which crop can I grow? Obviously, there's crops that tolerate salt better than others. Uh, Grass crops in general tolerate better than broadleaf crops. Yep. Uh, If you've got good drainage and you can flush some of those salts through and you're in a high rainfall area, that That gives you a little bit more cushion too. And then he said, what do you think about knifed in and banded versus broadcast with incorporation? Well, it depends on where you're banding it. Let's say you were banding it directly in between the rows. That would actually be more beneficial than broadcasting. And the least beneficial would be banding it all in the row because now you get all your salt right in the row. Here's one of the things we're going to be doing too. Just uh, I'll just give you a little story here quick. There's a large dairy getting built right next to us. The old dairy got bought out, and now they're making this new, new I'm going to call it new dairy, just larger than the old one. So we're looking at having more manure available to us every year. So what I talked to the manure applicators about is I said, well, really, I want it deep. They go, what do you want want it deep for? And I said, because I'm worried about the buildup in my top six inches, number one, of nutrients. And if if I bury them, now I'm in good shape. I don't have to worry about losing my phosphorus, for example. And number two, salt. If I can get that salt deeper, it's just that much closer to getting it flushed out of that ground. Oh, and by the way, you might say, well, wait a second here. You've got to flush it out of the ground. It might go out on the tile line, and then salt gets in the water. 
look, I don't think we're going to have a lot of complaints about some tiny, tiny, tiny little bit of salt in quadrillions, yes, quadrillions, of uh, gallons of water. So the, the, the dose always makes the poison. It's salt. It's not going to hurt anybody if it's out in some tiny little dose in water. So, yep, a little bit of salt might flow into the water just like a little bit of salt flows into the water today. No real big deal. Okay. Uh, thanks for the questions, Gordon. Sorry it took us a little bit to get back to you on that, but if you have any follow-ups, just let us know. Get this. Oh, always be, always be conservative. So Midwest Labs often says 500 pounds per acre per year. So if he's at 200 and, what would you say, 30? Yeah, uh, that means, per 1,000 gallons. Right, per 1,000 gallons. That means 2,500 gallons is your limit. Now, that's what they say. I'm not saying that's your limit. Your limit varies on all these things, and that I can't really answer for you. All right. Thanks for the question. Yeah, if you can can get into a rotation where you're only putting the manure on once every third or fourth year, uh, that that helps quite a bit yep. too. Yep. Okay. Get this from uh, Padi, and he said, "I wonder if you would touch on viruses in corn, and also what are your thoughts on control of leaf curl mites? You know, there are a number of viruses that can impact corn, and I think about the the family of Fiji viruses, maize streak virus, uh, and a number of others. We've got a corn diseases app that you." can download it's a free download we've got a little bit of information on some of the viruses but here's the thing there's there's just a few important things you can do to lessen your risk of having these viruses first if you've got damp or wet soil you need to improve your drainage where you've got wet soils we're more inclined to have virus problems so if you can improve drainage that's a good thing the other thing would be varietal selection there are a lot of there's a lot of difference between the varieties out there that are available of corn and sweet corn that can tolerate some of these things, may have resistance or, or high levels of tolerance to the different viruses. That would be really important. The other thing is we see a lot of viruses that get spread by either aphids or leafhoppers, and those are totally controllable. Now, if you're in a situation where, hey, I don't have access to insecticides or I'm raising a crop where I can't use them, then do whatever you can to promote the growth of uh, any of the predators for those aphids. That can really help. But aphid and leafhopper control is really critical. And then let's just say you're in a low-tech situation, crop rotation, and then hand-pulling any infected plants and just getting them out of there so that virus doesn't spread would be really important too. Hey, thanks, PD. Really appreciate or PD. Thank you. Really appreciate the question. Uh, get this one from Brent, and he said, given the Biden administration's interest in climate policy and carbon sequestration, uh, just wondering if we could use our organic matter as a proxy for carbon in the soil. We've got 20-plus years of soil samples. We can show that we've increased organic matter over 20 years, moving from traditional till to strip till. We would like to quantify those efforts for future use if possible. Just kind of curious if they're looking at past help or just help from here on out. No, it's basically help from here on out. They're trying to make things better than where they already are. So sadly, you would have been ahead, and don't quote me on this, okay, but this is from every carbon program that I have seen so far. But sadly, you would have been ahead to just destroy your ground over the last 20 years, and now you try to make things good. So it's kind of sad, really. But 
let me just state Rather again. Rather than just saying we're crop farmers, we are, or well, not even crop farmers. We have farm ground and we can sequester carbon. So yes. just give us credit for how much we're pulling yes. in. It's yes. the change from one year yes. to the other that's getting looked at. So yes. it would be nice if they would change that policy a little bit rather than just looking for a change, looking for, hey, let's give credit for how much we're actually pulling in. And raising great crops is one great way to pull carbon in. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. And thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.